Oh, stop it. You're beautiful. <laughs> you can't do that here. I won't allow you to. I just said I don't look like that. I mean, I'm still, uh, not you're like still that. beautiful. You're still beautiful. <laughs> Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Aida Rodriguez. Uh, you know we go live, and you know how we do it here. Um, we are not um, we're not the most polished, but we are the most real. So that's what we're here for. Thank you for joining another episode of Truth Serum. We are here live every Friday on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitch and Twitter. And we look forward to you joining us at 12 p.m. Pacific time, where we decide to have conversations our way about our people um, without banging for corporations or political parties, we are just here to express and talk about the concerns of the people, which, which so many people have neglected, especially in this time. So um, if you missed last week's episode, make sure you check it out. I had Flame Monroe, Chloe Hilliard, and Marcela Arguello, and we were talking about the, the intersection of comedy and politics and social issues. But today, uh, we're going to have a special um, edition of Truth Serum, which they're all special to me because I, um, I handpick everybody on the show. I don't have a booker. I just actually sit down and curate the shows and think about the conversations that we're not having. And the, last week, um, I had some people bring to my attention that Latinos were being neglected uh, in the media um, in, in light of the Black Lives Matter um, you know, protests and issues that were going on. And I just wanted to make sure that I corrected that because the reason Latinos are not getting uh, the attention in the media is because white supremacy is real and it affects us all. And to blame black people for that, you know, and the respectability politics that I will not engage in is like, I will not blame people of color for their own oppression or the oppression of others. What I will do is hold, uh, you know, the light up to the people who are doing the oppressing. Um, that being said, um, I've invited three women, three powerhouses to join me in this conversation so that we can talk about the issues in our Latino community with respect to uh, law enforcement and what's happening today and has been happening for a very long time. And I also wanted to make sure that we discuss intersectionality because a lot of times when Latinos say the Black people, the Black people, they're excluding the Black people that are Latinos and we do not participate in that erasure here. So. Um, without further ado, um, I'm going to read the introductions because these women are worthy of that. And um, I just want you to know who they are and what they do and support their movements because that's how we grow as a people and how we move forward. So today I'm joined by Julissa Raya, best-selling author of My Underground American Dream and Someone Like Me. Um, she has a new book called Rejecting Assimilation, a manifesto against the ways America demands assimilation yet denies belonging. <laughs> yeah, that just touched my soul. And a rallying cry to preserve and celebrate our unique cultures, values, and vision to create space to truly be ourselves, which I think is very important. That, that book is coming out soon. Um, she is someone who I held, you know, she held Oprah accountable. Um, uncomfortable by calling her out for a book selected for her book club that portrays a, me a Mexican character in a stereotypical and damaging way. And I think that that is important for us to hold each other and ourselves accountable. So welcome, Julissa. Thank you. And I actually go by Julissa Arce Raya because Raya is my, my, my married name. Okay. And, uh, you know, I like to keep Arce, which is uh, my, uh, my maiden name, the, the name of my father. I love that. I appreciate it. So, Julissa Arceraya. Um, and to, so, and I, I'm, listen, on my special, I, I went up 
and I started with Aida Rodriguez and I ended with Aida Margarita Rodriguez Parada. <laughs> and that I honored my mother, my grandmother, and my father, because I think it's important that we do that, especially now. Um, Melina Bobadilla is a Brown Chicana actor and born and raised in Los Angeles, who is focused on the shifting, on shifting the paradigm of Latinx representation on screen. And boy, do we need it. She's an educator and activist, a voiceover artist, artist and a special correspondent for Latino Rebels, which who I joined yesterday. You may recognize her from her role in Orange is the New Black, where she played an ICE detainee. She's an indigenous woman from Guatemala that doesn't speak English or Spanish, which she speaks Mayaquiche. Mayaquiche, yeah. Yeah, that I love when we know our native tongues because they <laughs> to show that not all Latinos are monolithic or Spanish-speaking people. Which Spanish is, for those of you who don't know, is also the language of our colonizers. So yeah. uh, let's remember that because we like to make fun of uh, Latinos who don't speak Spanish, and we're doing the same thing that they do to us. Her most recent film for Rosa, which my French we my. Uh, Chewy Martinez is involved with is inspired by Madrigal 10, a group of women of many Latinas sterilized without consent while giving birth at Los Angeles County USC Medical Center during the 70s. And, um, you know, that sterilizing was going happening to First Nations women. It was happening in Puerto Rico. It was happening to Black women in America. It is, they've been trying to keep the numbers down on us for a long time, and it ain't right. working. Uh, nope. <laughs> so, uh, Catalina Eclestón Lagata is a first-generation Panamanian-American reggaeton historian and entrepreneur. She founded her bilingual multimedia company, Elumina Media, in 2015 with the objective of starting conversations and amplifying stories two languages at a time via platforms Reggaeton con Lagata and in Latinidad, which supports me greatly and I'm very thankful for. Catalina is currently writing a book on the evolutionary, on the evolution of El Movimiento. So welcome ladies. Thanks for having, for having us. No, thank you for being here. Um, so I, I, I wanted to start by first and foremost, because we are women addressing, um, talking about the issues when it comes to black and brown women, how we are often left out of the conversations when it comes to uh, abuse and police brutality and uh, racism, when we talk about these issues, we tend to always talk about men. And um, I, as women of color and women who are constantly having to fight, and we are amongst the, we belong to the group of women who get paid the least of all. Um, I just wanted to open the conversation with, you know, your sentiments and your feeling about the role that you play as a woman um, in your activism and, and, and what it means to you when you have these conversations to include la mujer, uh, which tends to be oppressed by all the parties, the, the white man, the white woman, and the brown man, and the, you know, yeah. the black man. So um, I'll start with you, Julissa. Yeah, thanks. So um, you're, you're absolutely right that, you know, a lot of times within marginalized communities, there is even more marginalized communities within them. Uh, and specifically when we're talking about, about women, um, you know, I think, 
uh, a really big instruction has been uh, the Black Lives Matter movement with women coming out and starting to say her name, right? Because so many of the Black women who were being killed by police were not getting the same attention that uh, that the killings of of Black men were getting. And so it's it's up to us. I've always I always think it's up to you when you're not seeing something being done in the right way or in the way that you think is just and fair. It's up to us individually to take action and to and to talk about it. You know, when you mentioned the the wage gap, one one thing that people don't realize is that the wage gap for Latinas is wider uh, with both white women and white men than the wage gap between white women and white men. And and just I know that sounds very convoluted, but but to put kind of numbers to it, Latinas make fifty four cents in the dollar to white uh, what white men make, and we make seventy cents in the dollar to what white women make. White women make 80 cents on the dollar to what white men make. So that's kind of how far behind we are. And it is important to contextualize those because, you know, I think a lot of times, um, and there's been many people who have who have talked about this, about the about feminism and the feminism movement and how a lot of times feminism circles tend to be, um, I would even argue, oppressive to women of color. Um, and we are often left out of the conversation. So it's incredibly important, particularly coming from the Latino community where women, I mean, we run things uh, in the Latino community, right? Like we are a mat uh, matriarchy uh, culture. And so women are incredibly important, both in our families, in the way that uh, we conduct business, in the way that decisions are made at every single level of Latino culture. And so it is really important and critical that we elevate what is happening with Latino women and that we contextualize it also from a his historical standpoint. Thank you. So Gata, I want you to speak on, uh, because you are at the intersection of Blackness and Latinidad. And a lot of times when you hear people talking about um, brown people and they're like, well, the Latinos and the Latinos, and they, they neglect that Black people are Latinos too. Um, and and now, now you are in the place where you're Latina, you're Black, and you're a woman. So there is, uh, there's some specificity to your to where you and I stand, and then be, with within me and you, then there's just another because I'm I'm a lighter skin Latina. So now we're talking about the 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 dark. You're dealing with the issues of being a dark skinned black woman. I, I would love for you to give that a voice because I think people need to hear that, especially right now. Absolutely, and thank you for having me here. Um, yeah, it's been a very interesting time uh, <laughs> witnessing everything that's going on in the media and how it's been represented. Um, in regards to what I do, um, specifically touching on the history of reggaeton, which is the heart and soul of uh, Latin music as far as the industry goes, it's been very interesting just pretty much uh, seeing the juxtaposition of politics both in Latin America um, in comparison to the United States. Um, absolutely. One thing that I see um, both, and I speak on reggaeton just because it's my expertise, but I see it definitely within the industry in regards to um, our casting and the talent that's hired, right? Mm -hmm. For every Zaini Lennox, there's maybe like 100 Yandes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I say that with love, but you know, it's, it's the truth. Um, for every um, Yagi Maki, you know, um, the juxtaposition is absolutely great. And um, even speaking to um, Sech, right? Because Sech is the, I mean, by far the only dark, I mean, it's like dark, dark skinned um, Latino putting on for Latin music at the time. 
I think we're losing you. Can you guys hear her? We so just lost the sound for a second. Your sound is like, uh, yeah. And right now? Yeah. There you go. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, but um, I was saying, like, you know, I'll get in trouble for calling such a unicorn, but really he is. He's the only guard in uh, Latino in the industry um, who's really, you know, putting on a name for Panama. And it's volumes as to the work that we have in that industry and culturally and what it is that we see ourselves um, and what does, you know, we and Latinidad mean. Um, I created in Latinidad uh, kind of to poke fun at Latinidad, right? Because what is Latinidad? Is it our rice and beans? Is it, you know, uh, is it our music? Um, when is it we and it, when is it, you know, us and they? Uh, because that tends to happen within our culture and in our community. Um, I can speak from experience being our skin black woman in this culture, um, you know, being othered by my own people. Um, and so uh, actually definitely there's a lot of layers here and I'm very grateful that we're living in a time with um, all of these um, self-made platforms that are being created to educate each other and pretty much have these conversations. And I thank you, Isla, for shining light to this and this intersecting all of Oh yeah, no. So one of the uh, so one of the viewers, Raquel, said it's called colorism, and yeah, we do. We 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 have the conversation about colorism um, often, and you know, within our communities, we don't. It's so funny because, and I don't know if you guys feel the same way or you ladies feel the same way. Sometimes I feel like when you watch Latin television and media, that they're several years behind, and so it's it's very complicated when we when we start using terminology that is so commonplace for us in English and in Spanish, they're still just dealing with, right. you know, they're still just happy to be here, you know, Melina. And you, you talk about, so you, you are, you know, an indigenous woman, which in, in Latino culture is another group that is often, um, you know, uh, marginalized and mistreated as if being, uh, you know, indigenous is a negative thing, which Right. I, I always talk about how they have convinced us to be ashamed of the greatest people of our past, the, the, the African kings and queens and the, the, the indigenous kings and queens that we come from. You, you are also in a specific place because within Hollywood, we have to deal with the stereotypes. Of they want to make us the maid. They want to make us you know, uneducated. We are always battered and broken. So what, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, so it's interesting. I think that the reason that I, I, you know, in my bio, I say that I'm a brown Chicana is because, um, you know, speaking to what Catalina said, what is Latinidad? For me, it's, it's, um, it's fluid. And sometimes this umbrella term, this, this generality can be uh, all encompassing and can speak to unity. Other times, I feel like it's really a vehicle for um, erasure and to continue um, this, this, the, the assimilation and the really the whitewashing um, that is so is so fundamental in um, in sorry something just rang in colonialism right like that's a remnant of colonialism so when we talk about um, you know the, just unpacking this this term I think of uh, you know something that one of my uh, my sisters said right now I can't remember you're, everyone on here is so brilliant and I'm just like trying to like, I'm eating your words, you know, like I'm nourishing myself with your knowledge. Someone, um, you know, in, in regards to, to race and ethnicity, um, may, got me thinking of this, this old school Mexican uh, 
writer and academic, Jose Vasconcelos, who sold this idea of la raza cosmica, right? And so, you know, when, when you hear, hear people like some old school Chicanos say, que viva la raza, I was even hearing this at the March on Sunday, like, que es la raza, cual raza, right? There's this idea of like full mensaje, which again, erases and which promotes whiteness because I think we're having yeah. a bad so can can everybody else mute their theirs and just so that we can identify okay Irina you tell me if you can identify where it's coming from Go ahead. No, no, Melina, you go. Oh, Miko. Okay. Um, so, so then going back to your, you know, how I identify myself, I have found that the reason I, I, I've stuck to Chicana is because there's, there's a gray zone in there. There's a liminality and a fluidity that I'm comfortable with because, you know, I was born here. I'm, I'm the daughter of immigrants from Mexico who moved to the East LA area in the 60s um and and actually they were not necessarily embraced by by the chicano awakening um the, the chicano consciousness chicano identity actually like you know my mom would tell me like they called her tijuanera right so that's like intra-group beef but then she has this daughter who holds on to that identity because i went to study in mexico city when i was in college and i remember there they would be like oh Ustedes, los Chicanos, quieren ser más indios que nosotros. Like, you Chicanos want to be more indigenous than, than us Mexicans. And it's like, I don't, I don't know if I would simplify it like that. I just think that we've been, you know, thrice removed from, from our roots, from our, 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 our cultural practices, our spiritual practices, our legacy, also as a product of colonialism. So that, there, you know, there's this yearning. And I went there with this romanticized idea, thinking that I would be embraced. But it was interesting, Aida, because I actually experienced a lot of racism in Mexico City, and it wasn't until I opened my mouth and they heard me speaking my, you know, clear white girl English that I can code switch and I can talk like this. Then they would be like, "I see, sí, cómo le podemos ayudar?" Like, um, you know, and I and I have multiple instances where that, you know, that was such a that was such a heartbreak. I think I went with this romanticized notion with some innocence, but that in itself also served to highlight this idea that it's not that I'm, you know, ni de aquí ni de allá, soy de aquí y de allá, y de un espacio que existe en medio, like a, another space. So I um, I don't lead with saying like I'm indigenous because that, that's also another very, very complex um, conversation, right? Because what does that mean if, if I don't have, um, you know, tribal recognition or affiliation and I didn't grow up with those practices? So it does affect how I walk in the world but look at how I am, I am red, right? And, and this happens in Hollywood, um, just by virtue of the skin I live in and, and the, the features that I finally learned to embrace and be proud of that were given to me by my ancestors. You know what? Um, I've never been white passing. Ain't nobody mistaking me for Spanish or Italian or anything like that. Like, even if I changed my name to Johnston, I wouldn't be fooling anyone, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting also thinking about how I'm, I'm red in Hollywood. Like, I don't often get, I can, you know, I'm, I'm in terms of like the auditions, they're, they're better. Of course, once, you know, once you're on Orange is the New Black and Apple TV, Little America and Laundromat that I have a scene with Meryl Streep, I don't know how that happened. Then they're like, okay, well, let's bring you into the audition. You know, and the description of a character can be something very similar to me, but it ends up being the most, I have to be frank about this, the most 
the, the casting ends up with the person who is closest in proximity to whiteness, skin color, eye color, phenotype. And I've had moments where I'm like, you know, I, I'm, this is something I'm committed to not doing, but what if I wasn't where I am in my consciousness and my, you know, solid with my identity? What if I like, you know, me, me hago la nariz así, como dicen en México, europizarte la nariz, or, you know, I, I, I um, subscribe to these, these notions of what uh, a sexy or beautiful body should be and, you know, you know, lost X amount of weight until my rib shows until, or until my clavicle. I don't know, you know, but that's not willing on something to do. But I do know that I've experienced for years being read as someone who does not speak Ang English or, or perhaps speaks English with an accent um, or lacks a certain uh, amount of, of formal education. And, and it's, it's been consistent, like, do these roles, do these roles with accents, do these roles um, that, that, that are, you know, can be read as, as stereotypical. And, and I'm kind of jumping around, but I, you know, just to go back to the first point that you, you brought up, like, I, I walk with many identities, but they're all one and not one is more salient than the other. So when you talk about our identity as women, you know, and, and, and non-binary folks, people who don't benefit from cishet patriarchy um, and machismo, um, I don't, I don't put women before I don't put, um, I, I, I am a brown woman. I'm a brown Chicana. I have indigenous ancestry. Um, unfortunately, it's, I've really been so separated from that. And I think that we have to, um, one of the things that I, I think is really important is to, to highlight over and over and, and to really be rooted in this idea that we're not, none of us are free until we're all free. And if you're not centering the voices of the people that have multiple layered oppression and are, are the most dispossessed among us, trans women, black women, then this movement isn't gonna work. So we need to make sure that that's always at the forefront. You know, Andre, you you commented that Black Lives Matter and everyone here has been very active in um, in, in the Black Lives Matter um, moment, mo movement. And long before it became a hashtag and everybody else jumped on, um, you know, some of us who identify Black don't have a choice but to uh, scream Black Lives Matter because you know, we're talking about our grandmothers and our brothers and our sisters. Um, and uh, Melina, to one of the things that you said, because I'm very transparent about m my life, doing all of those things to your body to try to assimilate have been uh, nothing but um, detrimental to how I feel about myself coming from the modeling industry and dealing with those self-destructive habits to try yeah. to attain a body standard that is not only unrealistic for me, but it's also unhealthy. I, I can tell you that I've done, you know, up until recent times, just some of the most horrific things to my body and yeah. nothing. Um, and this is not a judgment. Sorry. I just want to say like, I'm going to be real honest. If, if I had, um, if there, if these moments happened, uh, when I, I felt the most critical and these voices still come in like as recently as last week. Right. But, um, I think if, you know, in the moments where they were the strongest, I wonder what my choice would have been had, you know, had my budget been different, you know? Oh yeah. And, no. and so it's like, it's just, it's really, um, it's complicated, you know, it's not, and I don't want to judge it. It's just, it's no, like an it's ongoing battle. You know? yes, it is, and it doesn't end, and it's harmful. Um, I want to shift the conversation a little bit to what we decided. What we, what I wanted to talk about is that there's been, uh, in the last couple of weeks, we have been seeing more visibility when it comes to uh, police violence with regards to the Latino community. Um, 
we have been it's it's been now that you know the the that the we have blown the top off of this thing we are seeing you know with andres guardado 18 years old was uh pursued and then shot by la county sheriffs uh, while he was working because he had a handgun he ran because he was scared and who would not run from the police as a person of color right now yeah um in tucson arizona the police chief offered his resignation after the death of a 27 year old um april 21st became public carlos ingram lopez died while handcuffed and placed face down he could be heard thrashing asking for water numerous times and whimpering as he lays face down on the ground this seems to be uh you know their jam right now this seems this seems to be going on and, and i don't want to make light of it but it's just i get so angry um 22 year old sean monterosa while uh responding to an incident in vallejo california was caught was murdered by a police officer from what i understand he was on his knees and yeah. with his hands above his waist at the time and at the press conference on monterosa's killing was Alicia Sadler, whose brother Angel Ramos was killed and shot by Vallejo police in 2017. He would have been 25 this year. And there's a, a Puerto Rican woman um, who's not, on, Sandy Guardiola, has a job as a parole officer with the State Department of Corrections and Community in Rochester, New York. Five months later was shot to death in her bed by a police sergeant during a welfare check. Officers obtained an electronic key fob to gain access to her apartment. Police have said that Guardiola fired first and they returned fire, striking the woman three times in the chest, the arm, and the head. Uh, and these are just a few of the cases. Julissa, you have been at the forefront. All of us have been. Um, you've been at the, you were at the march this Wednesday with, uh, with Black Lives Matter because I understand that um, Bill Power was there to, you know, amp amplify the, uh, the stories and the names of the Latinos who have been murdered. Um, I want you to just talk about what the, the experience has been doing this work specifically, uh, because you use your platform constantly for this, and what it looks like in terms of Latinos and why you think the media isn't covering it and we're not reporting it like we should. Yeah, um, thanks. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this uh, quite a bit, and uh, as I've been doing also just a lot of um, research for 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 my book and looking at the historical perspective of this stuff, um, you know, I think that part of the reason that uh, police killings don't get the same kind of national attention as other Latino issues, namely immigration issues, um, is because we don't really understand the historical structural ways in which police have targeted Latinos and, and, and the ways in which police in certain areas of the country were specifically created to bring state-sanctioned violence to Latinos. So we understand immigration on a very personal level because many of us are immigrants ourselves. You know, I was undocumented for 15 years, have family who are immigrants, have family who are undocumented. So I think a, a lot of times, I mean, immigration is sort of like the front and center issue uh, when it comes to when it comes to Latino communities. Not to say that it's the only issue, but rightly so, it takes up a lot of our attention. And I think that thanks to the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and thanks to all of the work, the the really centuries of work that the Black community has done we are now uh, turning our attention also to the killings of Latinos by police. So I think if we understood it kind of on that deeper structural level, we might 
understand that this is an issue that needs to be in our consciousness as much as any other issue that affects our community. So just to give you a quick example, the Texas Rangers were created in the 19, in the 1820s specifically to, uh, to bring violence to Mexicans and to Native people in their way, in, in the United States way of westward expansion. Um, there is there is a, a, a historical um, case that happened where the Texas Rangers took 15 Mexican men and boys to a hill and shot them dead uh, because they believed that they were involved with some uh, quote unquote looting that happened at a, at a ranch nearby. That evidence was never produced. And so, you know, I think that if we really understand it on that level, uh, we'll kind of see why these things are continue to happen today. It's because the system was set up specifically to target black and brown bodies, right? I think the black community understands this on, on a very deep level as we kind of uh, understand police as being slave catchers, right? And it goes back to all the, all the way back centuries of why police continue to act in this, um, in this manner and in this way. And I just wanted to share some numbers because you're right that, you know, Andres, Eric, uh, Sean, uh, Adrian, those are four names that we've recently learned of, uh, but they're not the only ones. I mean, in, um, in LA County alone, since the year 2000, 465 Latinos have been killed by police. Nationally, 903 Latinos have been killed by police in the last year. Almost a thousand Latinos have been killed by police in the last year. Right now we're talking the names and we're speaking the names of just a few of them. But each one of those 903, uh, uh, that's, not just, that's not just a number. That's fathers and daughters and uh, grandsons that, uh, that have been murdered by police and whose families will never be whole uh, because of it. And so I think, you know, when we get this question of why aren't Latinos getting the same attention, I think that's the wrong question to ask. I think the question we need to be asking ourselves is what are we individually and collectively doing to bring attention to these killings and really, really importantly, to elevate the work of community organizers who have been doing this work for a long time. So, I, you know, I saw a lot of comments that said, why aren't Latinos doing anything about this? And again, I think that that I understand the frustration of where that comes from, because to be completely honest, I've had those thoughts and I've had those questions for myself. But what I've what I've learned, um, what I've come to understand is that places like um, Youth Justice Coalition in L.A., for 10 years, they have been working to try to get cops out of schools in Los Angeles County for 10 years. And so. Uh, and so the work is happening, and we, as people who um, you know who who are out here, like need to elevate that work that people are already doing and continue to bring attention. So when you say, you know, I've been using my my quote unquote platform, and I don't really even sometimes think I have this big platform, but whatever whatever voice I have, I I always want to use it to elevate issues that are affecting our community, and without. Uh, opaquing or trying to co-opt the movement that is the Black Lives Matter movement, but to stand in solidarity with them and to start to stand as co-conspirators with them and to understand that while the issue is not the same, there are very, very um, strong parallels that uh, can be drawn and that if we understood them better and knew about them better, um, that we would be much better, stronger allies because ultimately 
you know, the times when we come together, like that's that's a scary proposition for uh, white supremacy and for the white people in power. When black and brown come together, uh, it really is a force that cannot be stopped. Yes, I, I agree with you. And I'm, I'm glad that you um, you gave us the numbers because I think that one of the things that I'd like to focus on on this show is not just bringing awareness to the issues, but also to uh, create to talk about solutions. Right. And so uh, many all of us, you know, um, are artists it's in our own our own right. And what I tell people is like, you know, I'm going to go back to doing stand up when we get back on the road. I'm going to go back to doing a TV show. I'm going to go prepare for my special. But there are people on the ground whose daily work is consists of creating, you know, breaking down barriers. And those are the real people that we like to elevate. And you and I, Julissa, had this conversation that we we like to use our platforms to amplify those voices because the celebrity worship in America has become so toxic that we get mm -hmm. so focused on people of, you know, who are celebrities and, and they co-op, they, they do co-op the, the movements, and, but then they go back to their lives and their work. And then here we are, you know, we, we are still dealing with the problem. Um, so when it comes to Melina, you are, you are an actor and you use your art as activism as well as mine. You, you know, we use it but are there any organizations, um, as Julissa named, and I'm going to ask you as well, Gata, people that you know that are doing the work and they are really, you know, this is their work every day that you right. would, whose names you'd like to amplify? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, as, as we talk about using use of a, of a platform, as we've all been echoing here, I think it's, it's really important, as you're saying, to go back to to amplify the voices and to go directly to the work of community organizers who are doing this ground work on the ground. Um, we already, you know, invoked the name of Youth Justice Coalition, which I think is they they've been um, they've been at the forefront, really, at least in LA, of um, and 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 I think the words that they use are so specific and so important because naming things is really one of the first steps towards liberation and justice, right? So they talk about working with Black and Brown families. And, and people who have been affected by police terrorism. And I think that's really effective because we have to name it that. Um, it's, it inflicts violence, not just on the person whose life was stolen, it's generational trauma and it's community trauma um, because there, there's a distrust and there's also, um, there's this expo elevated exposure to violence. So in terms of the, um, the march, uh, so I was at the, the initial Father's Day march for um, Andres Guardado and that one was organized by Union del Barrio. They also do amazing work with the community and it's very um, focused and, and rooted in working with Mexican and Central American families. There's also Stop Coalition, which from what I understand has, is kind of uh, something that was born out of Youth Justice Coalition. And that uh, specifically also works with uh, families who've been directly affected uh, by police violence. And, and one of the things that that I learned recently about that the work that they do is that they're really trying to zoom out and to look at these problems on a county level to get accountability and justice um, and change on a county level and at a statewide level. Because what what we're seeing, and, and I recently dealt with it just in terms of like making phone calls, asking why the hell had you not released the names of the police? Now they did that yesterday. Why have the family not been able to see the body of their slain son. Um, why don't we not have any tapes? X, Y, and Z. So what they do is they they kind of like play this this ping pong with responsibility, you know. And it's like 
the sheriffs uh, in Compton pass it off to the the main headquarters, and then they pass it off to DA. And, and someone really tried to tell me to to call Jackie Lacey's office. I'm like, uh, I don't know if you know that they're at, the community in LA at least has zero faith in her office. And one of the things that BLM Los Angeles, um, and I want to specifically just give so much respect and credit um, to Dr. Melina Abdullah for her organizing work and for, for really um, mm -hmm. just the, 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 the strength that, and, that her and, and the rest of the organizers that work with BLM Los Angeles um, have really infused in the education that they spread in terms of how important it is for us to be connected to local politics. And I think that's also where we, you, know, you, you bring in Build Power, which is this amazing organization that Kendrick Sampson started. And it's, it's really at this intersection kind of, of, of my world because prior to, to finally deciding, hey, I'm gonna take this crazy decision and jump into Hollywood, my work was in education, in using um, arts as a, as a tool for social change. I actually used to teach an after-school arts program at Belmont High School where Andres Guardado went. This was years ago, so I, I mean, I, I didn't teach him. He was a, he was a child, a baby then. Um, but, uh, you know- He was a baby when he got murdered. Yeah, exactly. That's another thing. It's like how it's really interesting, uh, the language. And this is, again, going to this point of like the, the, the language that we use is so important because even the L.A. Times article um, that that named the, the police officers that or the sheriffs that killed him, they referred to him as an 18 year old man, a man, a man. And, um, you know, sure, he could vote. I guess he could buy cigarettes. But um, I don't know how much he got to solidify his identity and his passions and really uh you know activate what his plans and goals for his life were going to be um to reach this level of of manhood right this adult state mm -hmm. um and you're absolutely right to speak to that um but i think you know just one one final thing in in this thread is that at that that march and that we were at on wednesday and it was so funny because i was like standing there melting and you can't it, it's hard to see who's who and I look over to my left and I was like, is that Julissa? Should I say, hey, I don't know, because you know our masks are covering us. But uh, one thing that was really beautiful is that so much space was created and held for the families of Andres Guardado. And I saw, and Julissa, I don't know if you, know, you, you were there at a different time and, and, and you can speak to the number more, but I would say at least uh, between five to seven families who were speaking Spanish, some of them were bilingual and some of them spoke with an interpreter and had the pictures of their slain loved one and, and were um, invoking their names and were really uniting um, with the, the folks and the organizers that had been there already every Wednesday from Black Lives Matter Los Angeles and from Build Power. So the, the unity is starting to happen on the ground. I think that um, it's really, disheartening when when we do see those comments online because um, I've, I've seen them and, I, and I've gotten them DMs and um, someone told me to go back to Mexico because I'm ungrateful because I was talking about racism and anti-blackness in our community. So uh, we got a lot of work to do, but I think if we always go back to look at the work that has been done for decades on the ground, then it's, it's easier to tune out the other, uh, the mess. So Gata, you are, um, you know, and I don't, I'm not trying to tokenize you as a black Latina here with me. Um, I just want to make sure that I can't hear you. I can't hear you. You're muted. Um, 
That's a tokenizing. No, 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 not at all. We don't do that here. But what I'm saying is, I, it just, I think it's so important that when we have uh, conversations about Latinidad, that we're inclusive with all of the voices, right? And then we talk about state violence, you know, that the, the, the colorism is a factor as well, because it is, it is real. It's real in our community. It's real in the Black community. It's real in America. It's real all over the world. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on what we're talking about right now and with regards to police violence, because you also have been using your platform to say their names. Um, absolutely. Um, a common thing that's been going over my head um, as I've been listening uh, to the beautiful things that Felisa and Melina have been saying is that, um, you know, I think that we're a far cry from solutions. And part of the reason that is, is because we're divided within ourselves. Um, you know, I feel like right now we're in an age where um, a, at least the conversation that I've been witnessing is um, in regards to Afro-Latinidad, who is Afro-Latina, because that has been co-opted within our community um, and what that even means. I see people who um, have a large proximity to whiteness using or identifying as Afro-Latina, which then erases somebody like me who mm -hmm. I can't take away my my big black nose or my big lips or my dark skin. You know what I'm saying? I'm Afro-Latina 24-7. I personally haven't identified with the word just because I've seen this coming. Like, it was the first thing I thought of when I, I first heard of the term Afro-Latina. Like, one day, people who aren't Afro-Latina are going to utilize this word and, and they're going to try to erase me. Like, oh, you're Afro-Latina too? You know, oh, you're Latina? Because there's, there's a lot of issues that we have within our community. Um, in regards to understanding the differences between um, race and uh, nationality and, you know, things of that nature and nuances of in, within those in type of intersections. Um, a couple of people I would like to shout out is definitely um, a couple of sociocritics and a couple of community organizers who, um, this isn't anything new for them. This is what they do day in and day out, year after year, some of them for even at least a decade, Zaira Kelly, um, who's a well-renowned um, sociocritic. She's spoken at universities such Harvard, Stanford, um, in regards to the hierarchy of Latinidad, uh, what that even means. Um, Janelle Martinez, the creator of Ain't I Latina, um, who specifically asks Ain't I Latina and, um, you know, why someone like her, who's a beautiful, dark-skinned Latina, why isn't she included within our community? Because there's a lot of otherness, right? There's a lot of, um, oh, it's not negra. I guess she's part of us too. Like, we have a lot of work to do um, in regards to, you know, who we is, right? Who we are, excuse me. Um, Melania Luisa, um, an author and sociocritic, Alan Lopez, who actually created the hashtag Latinidad is canceled. Yes. Um, and, you know, Migrant Scribble. Yes, at Migrant Scribble on um, social platforms. He, I mean, Latinidad is canceled. I say Latinidad, I say Latinidad is a fairy tale. He says Latinidad is canceled. Um, and part of the reason why he even went there is because, again, um, we do so much to try to group us together in La Raza and things of that nature. And all it does is pretty much sweep over all of the, the problems that we have within our own group. I mean, for crying out loud, um, what that has to do with 
whether we speak English, Spanish, or an indigenous language, which has to do with pelo malo or yeah. you know, things of that nature. We have a lot of work to do. Um, I appreciated um, when Julissa brought up the, the wage gap because it made me think of a post I actually did um, earlier this year in which I said, well, if Latinos have a wage gap of, I believe it's 54, don't quote me, which Latinos have that gap? And does it fluctuate within Black Latinos right. and White Latinos? You know what I'm saying? Which Latinos are experiencing mm -hmm. that gap and which are experiencing even more? Because, I mean, how, right. are, we measuring that? how are we measuring that? Um, yeah. To continue, um, Ruben of Cuerchisme, um, he has a podcast, Bitter Brown Fans, Prisca Dorcas, who actually hosts um, Latino Voices of Latino Rebels. And um, I, I feel like Kat Lazo, I, she's a, you know, who I Peruvian um, content creator, who I adore, but she uses her platform as a white Latina, right? She says, I'm a Latina and I am white. And she utilizes her, um, her access, her privilege to then educate others. And I'm truly grateful for her and the voices that, you know, the conversations that she's willing to um, amplify and things of that nature. I appreciate you saying that because I think that I've had people attack me and say that I I'm not Afro Latina. I was raised Afro Latina. My whole, I was I was Afro Latina before Afro Latina was a term mm -hmm. because my grandmother is a black lady and her children were all you know Latinos. We got a tenemos un, a white one mm -hmm. that has you know coarse hair and then there's the the dark one that has the straight hair because of the effects of colonization. We're all like all right. oh, you know I'll be talking about that in my next special. But people would tell me, and my grandmother used to be like, Tú eres una negra que hablas español. that's all you are. And, and, it's, and it's just like, don't get it twisted because people would tell my mom, you know, if, if her lips were thinner, she'd be, she'd be white. Or if her nose was thinner, she'd be white. Mm -hmm. And what people don't, you know, don't understand that even within blackness, there's a spectrum, right? Because even, you know, you don't, you can't say that if, you know, like if I'm not black, then you know, Rashida Jones isn't black, Kadada Jones isn't black, Halle Berry isn't black. You go to the Dominican Republic and you go to Puerto Rico and all, you see people who look like that all over the place. And even though they want to be white, they're not white because if, mm -hmm. if the KKK comes through, none of us get to stay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we all, we're all going to get, but within, but within that, we still have to respect the reality that colorism is still real. And even those people who identify black, who are Latinos, who are lighter skin, still enjoy a privilege that the darker skin black Latinos don't. And it, and it gets mm -hmm. that specific. And, yeah. and, you know, when people tell me, you know, that, you know, that Latinos are anti-black, I'm like, everyone around the world is anti-black. They got a problem in India. They got this problem in Asia, in Africa, within the black community right. itself. Like, mm -hmm. uh, Spike Lee wrote a movie called School Days about colorism within <laughs> black people, you know, like, yeah. So, but I, I did want to just make sure that I held the space with, with respect to that, because even within me and you, there is a reality that there's a, that there's a perception of what it, mm -hmm. whatever it is and how inaccurate it is, it's still real and it's still hurtful to darker skinned Latinos who have to be all of those things. And then right. they got to get it from all sides because then you have black America telling them, well, you're not real black because you speak Spanish. Oh, yeah. And then um, also, I just remembered, because we were talking about, you know, um, why aren't Latinos being mentioned with the whole Black Lives Matter thing? I'm like, wait, I myself, Caterina Eccleston, I'm a survivor of police brutality. I couldn't go to the two cops who were brutalizing me and say to them, mira, yo soy Latina, yo, yo soy Hispano, no, no, don't, don't bother me, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. they don't care, you know? In other yeah. words, um, 
alguien como yo, I can't separate my negritud from my Latinidad. They don't care. They didn't give a damn. They still did to me what they did to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, to that nature, and, and you know, bringing into that perspective, there are Latinos who have been dying for years at the hands of police and police brutality. Um, um, Javier Ambler was, um, his death was, uh, it was highlighted two weeks ago and he died over a year ago. He died on camera during the filming of Life PD. Um, and if it wasn't for the fact that there has now been pressure um, from his family that finally came through to allow the media to tell the story, we would have never known. It was filmed on camera and the footage is still, um, there's still no footage to show, um, you know, the truth of what happened behind the scenes of his death. And it just speaks volumes as to how this does happen within the Latino community because mm -hmm. negros, nosotros, we don't have a, I can't go outside and my, my super dark uncle can't say, oh, I'm Latino, yo soy panameño, no me joda. Yes, right. Um, so, Julissa, I wanted to ask to talk about this because when we talk about state violence and law enforcement, when it co when it comes to co uh, Latino communities and immigrant communities, there's another layer of law abuse from law enforcement. When we talk about ICE and when we talk about, you know, I call them immigration police. Um, we talk about them, and, and there's a reason why a lot of us don't report because, uh, so I'm Puerto Rican and Dominican, so I'm half Commonwealth and half undocumented because my father got deported and has not been able to come back. He's, he is living in the Dominican Republic. But when we talk about, um, you know, the undocumented community who withholds you know, the, the, the reporting of abuse by, at the hands of the state for the fear of it, that there's a fear in our communities that comes from that um, as to why we don't report a lot of violence, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and yo, the numbers of, of, because we are women, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned this, the numbers of the second uh, abuse that is in, that I heard today from police towards people of color is sexual assault. So, you know, which we don't even talk about, like uh, how much it is running rampant amongst the, the law enforcement world. But I wanted you to speak to that because I know that you do uh, hold, it, you and Melina and all of us are doing the work when it comes to uh, Latinidad. We always have to include the layer of, of the undocumented. Yeah. Um, like this, it's so funny because like I know this conversation was supposed to be, you know, specifically about like police brutality mm -hmm. and, 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 and to talk about what happened with Andres Guardado and, um, and by the way, there's been new reports about, uh, the officer who shot, who shot him, who, um, has in the past had complaints about making false reports, mm -hmm. uh, who has uh, who uh, has pulled up on a licensed security guard and has said, you know, harassed him and be like, "Where's the gun? Where's the gun?" Even though the guy like never yeah. had a gun. Uh, so I just want to mention that because I know, you know, I've seen a lot of comments saying, "Well, Andres had a gun," and it's like, no, we've got to make we got to make sure we say, right. yeah, according to the police, because the police right. lie. And I'm not mm -hmm. one for conspiracy theories, but there's been much documented evidence about police planting evidence. And so um, I wanted to say that. Uh, and I know, you know, it's, I appreciate you saying like, that. This conversation could be like two hours long. long I know. You know, that's why I'm writing a whole book about this stuff because there's mm -hmm. so much there. Um, when we're talking about, um, and this is important, like I think it's important when we're talking about um, race and ethnicity and what is Latinidad and who are Latinos, I just want to contextualize that because. 
Latinos are the only people, and and you know I know uh, Melina and I have talked about this, and we don't we don't agree a hundred percent on this, and that's okay. You know I think it's okay for us to disagree on things, um, which is that uh, you know the reason, and I think a lot of people won't agree with me actually, uh, but I'll just say it anyways, which is that you know Latinos are the only people in this country that at least in the census, and that census is much broader, um, but that we're the only people that are considered an ethnicity and not a race, right? And race is a social construct. Race, you know, in the 1930s, there were 26 different races that people could choose from. Uh, so race is constantly changing in the definition of what race is. It's constructed by the people who want to define us, not really uh, constructed by us that are being defined. And so we're the only people that are considered an ethnicity. And what is an ethnicity by current definitions? It's, it's a culture and it's a heritage that is distinct from the American culture. And so Latinos, no matter how long we have been here, no matter how many decades and centuries, and no matter if we were, you know, if we never even moved, if it was the border that moved and all of a sudden we were Mexicans living in America, uh, we are the only people that are considered ethnicity. And I think that is very purposeful because it makes us perpetual foreigners. Forever, we're foreigners because we are a different ethnicity than what the American consciousness and culture is. And it was the natural, the Immigration and Naturalization Services, INS, which was, you know, the precursor to ICE and to um, the Department of Homeland Security. It was DHS, along with the Census Bureau, that decided that Latinos should be considered an ethnicity and not a race. And I understand, you know, the many layers of why being considered a race is, is problematic because it could and it, and it would erase uh, indigenous and black. Uh, but I'm wondering whether whether within sort of like, if you look at like the census and hopefully people have filled out the census and if you haven't, go fill out the census because it's important. Um, you know, within the census, when you have Asian as a race, you have Asian and then you have Cambodian, Vietnamese, Chinese. So you have a bunch within the Asian race, you have a bunch of different boxes um, so that it, so that not everybody's just Asian, right? It, within Asian, there's, there's different um, cultures as well. So I'm wondering whether, um, whether there's something a similar thing that we can do uh, for for Latinos, uh, because not being considered a race actually has a lot of implications. So when um, when when Gata, when you were asking, who is those Latinas that we're talking about in the wage gap? To be honest, we don't know, and it, and and more than likely, it's just whoever self-identified as Latina, right? So it's very possible that um, that within those Latinas, we have white Latinas, we have uh, you know. Uh, Latinas like me, I don't even know what to call myself because I'm, you know, I'm Mexican, but I'm, and, and I took a DNA test, you know, 75% indigenous, but I didn't grow up with an indigenous upbringing. So I, I, I would be hard pressed to say I'm indigenous because I did not grow up. Uh, I did not grow up like that. And I think it would be wrong for me to call myself that. Um, but so it's just people who self-identify as being Latina. And mm. so it's very confusing. And I bring all this up um, when we talk about ICE and police, you know, Police, policing and immigration are just two sides of the same coin, of the exact same coin. And there's a real intersection when it comes to uh, laws, like, for example, SB4 in Texas and SB 1070 in Arizona, which made it possible for police to stop someone uh, simply because they look like they may have committed a crime mm -hmm. and to be able to ask them for their immigration status. 
and and who do we think is going to get pulled over and asked for their immigration status if not people that look like us on this call right right and then and then there's so there's a there's a there's a funnel between there's a funnel between police and ice when people get sent mm -hmm. to uh, there's people, there's been stories and many, many stories of people who have been sent to uh, detention centers because they got pulled over uh, for a traffic violation mm -hmm. and right. they end up deported. And so, you know, these things are very, very interconnected. There's a lot of intersectionality. Um, I don't want to hog up all the time, so I'll, I'll send it back to you. But all that to say that there is a lot to be explored and to and to mm -hmm. be talked about. And And, you know, I am hopeful that um and i just you know i'm always maybe very naive in, in my hopefulness uh but i am very hopeful that in having these conversations we can actually get to a better place and mm -hmm. and create solutions because if we're not having these conversations and we're just sitting in our own heads thinking about this then yeah we're never going to come to solutions so even mm -hmm. if some of these conversations are uncomfortable and uh you know it's important to have them and i think the more that we have them the more we learn from each other and can and can change, you know, the way we think. Like none of us mm -hmm. have answers. Um, and so uh, and so, thank you for having this conversation. No, I appreciate I'd love it. to respond to some of the uh, the stuff that you brought up. So, um, I guess I want to start first with why are we putting the census as as the starting point to unpack and to to really sift through the uh, the identities that fall under the Latinx umbrella. And, and even if we're gonna talk about the, the point that you brought up about us being considered an ethnicity. So there's actually two questions. If you choose for, and I'll just speak about my own. So it, Mexican Chicano was an option and there's, there's ethnicities listed and then it goes to race. Yeah. Um, I also wanna speak to the fact that when, when you see the bra bracket for whiteness, it lists um, multiple European countries and also Egypt and Lebanon. My partner is is a, an Arab man, a very proud Arab man from Lebanon. Uh, Julissa knows him. Um, he does not identify. None, no, I don't. I don't. I haven't met any Arabs. I know that there are because there's always some folks that are colonized within different groups. Um, but I think that the census is inherently flawed. And if we start examining and defining um, and 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 uh, kind of using uh, how our, our inclusion into an already problematic system uh, as uh, the guiding force, as our impetus, as the entry point to define our identity, then I think that's problematic um, because I don't think that change happens from the top down. If we're asking oh, them I'm to I'm identify, a, hold on, let me finish. If I'm asking them to, if we're asking them to um, agree on certain terms, um, then that's a distraction also from the from the from the uh, the work that's being done on the ground. And two, we can all I mean, I think there's another episode to even talk about how to unpack what are what are those federal funds uh, used for and how are they're allocated. Obviously, we see that uh, police and sheriff and any sort of uh, uh, extension of the carceral state and, and I'm going to throw in the military, too, is overly funded. So that's something else to unpack. But I want to say, like, if we're, I, I wanted to really bring, bring this up really quickly because I, I want to um, kind of ask folks to join me in this extended learning and, and deepening our learning because 
in addition to the folks that are doing this work on the ground who are organizers, there are academics and social scientists um, and, and who approach this type of work around race and, and our relation to the carceral state and, and are interfacing with police with the police state and the police systems. Um, and these are academics of color who have conducted this research. So before we got on the call, um, I was looking at this, this amazing hour-long lecture with four um, professors and, and researchers out of UCLA who are black and brown. It's called Latinx Communities, Race and the Criminal Justice System. Uh, you can just look for it on YouTube. And one of the things that they talked about, there was this professor named Matt Barreto. He's a UCLA professor, he's Boricua. He conducted this broad study. Um, this is based on, on, on just like months and months of research and an extensive survey that he, he developed as a social scientist with Pearl Def, which is the Puerto Rican Legal Defense and Education Fund. Um, so they asked, uh, it, it's about Latinx communities and race in the criminal justice system. So they came out with four main findings. One is that Latinos are significantly concerned about public safety, both as victims um, of crime and also when it comes to interfacing with the police. Um, and they, they were- And you know what, I got, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. I just realized it's one o'clock. My show is supposed to be over and I can have oh, this shit. conversation. We gotta do it again. I People can just to... look this up on YouTube. Please, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna share. If you please share those links with me, I can share yeah. them with everybody. I just got so caught up in listening, I didn't realize that it was one o'clock. But I wanted to say this. I, I did want to say this. Um, I am uh, one of those people who is an advocate of all uh, all points of views. I think it's important to have the conversations, even if they're uncomfortable, even if we uh, have differing opinions. Everybody uh, who's a critical thinker is going to have their own way of seeing things, and I think this is how we grow and we go. I do want to say, Melina, like I appreciate what you're saying when it comes to um, the academics. But what I want to say to you is, I want to be very careful that um, one thing that I feel like with the uh, when it comes to people of color, that once they become educated, then they start employing uh, their own level of oppression against their own people who don't mm -hmm. have the education. So when we talk about academics, sometimes it can be. Um, it can be confusing to people who don't speak English, mm -hmm. who don't have a higher education. So we need people like me, you, Julissa, and Gata, who are the translators and sometimes the mm -hmm. liaisons between those schools of thought. Because what what right. happens is that you know we some people over intellectualize everything, and then that happens to me when I'm on TYT. People will send me messages and say, "Thank you for being there and and um, being." my voice because sometimes I feel like people are talking down to me. And so I think it's important that we use all, all of the information. Of course, yeah. People, you know, from the academics. And, and the thing is within our community, we value education so much that it is important that we honor it. I don't know for the life of me why any Arab person would consider themselves white in America the way that they're treated. So if they wanna be white, y'all can have them because they will, <laughs> they will eventually come back to us anyway. That's what happens, happens to all people of color who turn on their own. They eventually have to come home because as you saw with Stacey Dash and you see it all the time and the people, they always send you Candace home. Owens. But um, Candace Owens will come home eventually. I don't know who else she's coming back to, but I don't know who's going to end, but she's got to come back. Eventually. I'm like, um, let, me, let me not say anything. Yeah. And you know, it's funny when I thoughts on them, Candace. It, it's, it's interesting to me that even now, um, and, and I know we got to go, but I, even now, 
Black people who are supporting Trump, who had his first rally in Tulsa, where, where the uh, Black Street massacre took place, and now is having his second rally in Jacksonville on the anniversary of another uh, terroristic and, and animalistic, you know, uh, event that happened to Black people at the hands of, of white people with, you know, machetes and and law and law enforcement and all of the above it, it is i am still in awe of people who are in support mm -hmm. of this administration and i all i can do is give them to our ancestors and hope <laughs> that they are handled with accordingly because i for one am not a person that is going to extend grace to people who are unworthy of it that's a problem with us as people of color we're always so forgiving we're so uh loving and we're always allowing extending the olive branch when our oppressors and colonizers should be extending an olive branch to us. So I want to thank you all for being here. Um, and listen, I, I, I really, I say this to people, I want you to come back, but I actually want to schedule uh, today, put on the date, a, a calendar for us to come back and have part two of this conversation, because I think it's important for us to continue to talk about this and um, and really focus on solutions. Um, everybody who comes here, I'm inviting to help me with my uh, my my black and brown book that um, you know my my uh, partner came up with, which was about um, collecting names of local uh, local officials from sheriff to superintendents throughout communities that affect our communities and helping our elders vote, um, whether they don't Ooh. speak English or don't have the information mm -hmm. about who is voting, who is supporting the policies that that you know uh, uphold our best interests so i would like if you have any names that you want to contribute to that i know julissa you have something that you're going to send me but i just want to make sure that we all continue to focus on solutions because there is a lot of fighting going on online and a lot of people on panels just trying to you know shine for follows and 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 and, and praise but those of us who are here are really working to make the world a better place for us so, um, Melina, I want you to let people know um, where, where they can find you. And you are on Little America, which I saw your episode and I loved. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I've seen uh, all the stuff that you've done. So please let, let them know where they can find you and what you have coming up. You can find me on the streets of Instagram. I am <laughs> on there much more than I should be. Uh, so it's just my name, Melina Boadilla. I'm also on Twitter. Um, I have a Facebook, but I don't really fuck with it. I got too many tias on there, you know? Yeah. So, um, and then I would love to invite folks to just follow the Four Rosa film Instagram because, you know, we're, we're really trying to to get this off the ground. Um, like you said, Chuy Martinez executive produced uh, the project and he really believes in it. And, it, you know, it's, it's a story that I think is so important when we're, as we continue to talk about not only race, but we're gonna talk about reproductive justice or any sort of feminist issues, we have to get deeper into how does it look different from us as black, indigenous, Latina, uh, et cetera, women of color than it does for white women. Um, so yeah, just Melina Bobadilla and Four Rosa film. Thank Gata. you. Thank you, mommy. Gata. And that's not me, me being a sexist, that's me being a Puerto Rican. Uh, <laughs> oh, I don't mind it, I like it. Call me mommy. <laughs> Gata, what you got coming up, mama? Um, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute um, honor to share with all of you. Uh, for those of you who love El Perreo, you can follow <laughs> I speak in depth on uh, the history and the evolution and the bridges between Panama, Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. and the Pan-Latino mm -hmm. music 
um, evolution here in the United States. And for those of you who um, love talking about Latinidad and, you know, more of race and things of that nature, I invite you to follow En Latinidad. Thank you. And Julissa? Um, well, you can find me on Julissa Arce on uh, all of the all of the platforms. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer, and uh, my words are are my activism. And I feel like every book that I get that I get published is uh, is my form of resistance. And uh, and so I, I I invite people to um, to share the the space with me, and uh, for us to keep learning from from each other. And uh, you know, the census is not the uh, end all be all. Uh, it's an example of uh, of how things show up and I do invite people to fill out the census because uh it's important for us to get counted it only happens once every 10 years I did it I'm pretty good at it yeah no 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 so I was told by someone who I know who's in uh who's in politics and actually very they never mind I don't I don't want to get too descriptive (laughs) but they told me that someone they know that that their main focus on the census was Latinos because they know that they can divide us in a way that they cannot divide the other groups. Um, and because of and how it affects our communities, it was there's an an active, you know, there's this active momentum that they that they've been gaining for a while. And for not just dividing black communities um, and brown communities from each other and but also within us because they know if you started seeing Latinos getting murdered uh, and you start seeing the videos and Latinos start seeing a reflection of themselves in the in the way that you saw George Floyd, they what could they do? We would set this bitch on fire. Like they know that if they if they if the media starts, they're gonna be like, oh my God, they're gonna combine. So above all things, don't forget that our colonizers knew that divide and conquer was real. And it is active today. So they continue to divide us. And they tell black people that immigrants are taking that stuff from them. And they tell us that black Mm -hmm. people are taking stuff from us. In reality, while they're feasting and they have us fighting for the crumbs. So we need to get together and and knock them over and take that feast from them and stop fighting for the crumbs. Because reality is that we were the ones, black people built this country and brown people have been assisting and maintaining it since we got here. So let's not uh, let them continue to divide us because we are definitely, as corny as it sounds, stronger together. So I want to say thank you for coming out. We'll be back next week. Next week, we're going to dive into Afro-Latinidad. And um, we're going to really talk about the spectrum within that. And we're going to keep having the conversations. And in a couple of weeks, we're going there. We're having a whole hour talking about hair. So uh, I'm glad you and what and how it's been politicized and how we as people of color are at the always the short end of the stick when it comes to all of the colonizations work. So thank you so much for being here, Queens. I appreciate every single one of you. And I want to get on the calendar so we can come back and finish having this conversation. Thank you, everybody who showed up. You always show up and show out. And I love you all. Have a beautiful weekend. This is Joe Sarah. Happy Friday. Bye.